Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter 25. Right after the start of first shift, on day six, I got a nosebleed. Both nostrils, but no pain. I hadn't bumped it since the hatch burst open on day one. It just started on its own, with little droplets floating out into the cabin, one after the other. I tore off a few more tiny strips of cloth, you don't want to know where from, just little ones that I stuffed up my nose while trying not to think about high-energy particles. This was the state of things when a warning chime sounded on 23-22 hours that same day, and a dozen status reports popped up on the cockpit screens to indicate that our return to the natural universe was imminent. I felt that stomach-expanding lurch that was typical of exiting jump space, But it was very harsh, and I actually got quite nauseous, vomiting up energy bars into a bio-waste bag. My companion didn't react at all. I'd been hoping he'd come out of his spell once we arrived wherever we arrived, but it was no good. He still sat there, breathing jaggedly but regularly, shaking like a frightened dog. His face was still off and perched on his forehead. I still had the rag over his eyes. I touched one arm and called to him again, but it was the same as before. The man was lost until he could get some help. Even the screens in front of him, though now showing new information, still refused to respond. There was one small status panel that looked like a communication interface. It showed a steady pulse, which I hoped was a broadcast signal. If anyone came for us and arrived somewhere in the neighborhood, they'd be able to pick up that much and maybe spot us among the natural EM background noise of outer space. There were no windows and no external vid feeds, at least none active, which was the same thing. In terms of subjective time, that is to say the amount that had passed for us in the bubble universe, it took seven days to make the trip. Returning to this universe, our graviton wake had been big and ugly, blasting out from the exit cone in the superluminal fashion of star jump. It washed over the sensors of stations, traffic satellites, and spaceborne vessels within a radius of three light years, easily a million times bigger than a normal jump wake. I wouldn't learn these details until much later, but they filled in a lot of blanks. 
Naturally, this was unusual, and therefore garnered immediate action, since anything Star Jump related that was unusual was usually bad. We were easy enough to pinpoint by a cross-angular survey of the wake coordinates detected by the various sensor systems, so emergency rescue vessels were dispatched on the double, including one large fleet jump tug, which meant we were now over the border. I decided to follow up my package delivery the next day with an in-person visit. The instinct to bolt from this mission hadn't much abated, though I wasn't paralyzed by it anymore. Shady Lady still smelled bad, and there was trash all over the place. If Stina had gotten much of the funk off her in that mandatory shower, I couldn't tell. It was hard to imagine this, even though I was looking at it, smelling it, and stepping carefully over it. Just before I climbed up into the fire vent, I grabbed a big box of trash bags from a shelf in the closet. It was my steward's training kicking in, I guess, or a premonition. Before I even tried talking to any of them, I started bagging up garbage. Been meaning to get to that, John muttered, eyes on another vid game. Stina just watched me. That's a help, Chris put in. He was neat and fresh-looking compared to the others. He could have tidied up the ship at any time, but maybe he hadn't been able to. Maybe that was how his own cabin fever manifested itself. Besides, I figured that if I was coming back at some point, I wanted it clean. Dieter was in the middle of something in engineering when Chris called to tell him I was aboard. I went through every open section of the ship, one by one, and gathered up loose stuff. They had taken to stuffing some of it in gunnery, which I was tempted to howl about. I already knew they could get in. This clearly meant they didn't care if I knew, which rather put the pin to my paranoia balloon. When all the scattered trash was bagged up, I took out an extensible mop and folding bucket from one of the storage drawers and drew some water. I grabbed a scrubber and some liquid soap from the fresher and started washing the deck and other surfaces. I had a full shift at R&D ahead of me, and at least a few hours going over and adding comments to nine Mailbrot's precious reports, but I couldn't ignore this anymore. Whatever the cause, they apparently couldn't help themselves. I was on my hands and knees under the table in the common room, asking Stina to move her feet for the second time when Dieter finally came out. Thanks for the delivery yesterday! He called to my butt as I worked. Of course. It's what you needed, right? Yeah, but it'll still be a few days before I actually do. You made it sound urgent, I grunted while wiping up something dried, pernicious, and unidentifiable. I thought it was my next step, he confessed, getting some Vosserman, but not with the red cup, since John didn't say anything. It turns out I need to make adjustments in the mag field first, otherwise it might shear the nano part off the wall despite the glue. Those forces are pretty severe. I get you, I told him, but didn't really care at that moment. My jumpsuit was getting soiled along the knees and cuffs, and my back was aching. Nice game the other day, Stina said then, almost as a mutter. 
It took a moment to realize she was talking to me. Oh, you saw us play? You lost, she stated. Yeah, well, we tried. I'd like to try. I like smackball. Really? I didn't know that. I watched your practice sessions, so I started watching pro games, too. I think I'd like to play. I'm sure you would, I answered, very put off by her uncharacteristic loquaciousness. Maybe you can join a league when we get back home. But she didn't reply, and just moved through holographic screens of code and data tables restlessly, mechanistically. No one else seemed to care about Smackball, leastways no one picked up the conversation, which was just as well. They had been putting garbage in Mavis's cockpit, too. I didn't even think to check up there at first. Something gooey had leaked out of a food tray from the Thali restaurant, indicating that Chris had made more than just quick dashes out. That place was on the other side of the ring. He probably went wandering and maybe even used the tram. It was a sign that the other two, who didn't dare step aboard the station, were all the more isolated, that they were shut-ins, with all the behavior quirks that implied. No fault of theirs, but it was impossible not to see the problem here. SS1 and SS2 were both still needed on a daily basis, sifting through and editing the station's data stream. Otherwise, it might have been more attractive for them to just sleep through it all, like Mavis. That thought led me to call Chris up front while I worked. So, what about waking her up? I asked with a mutter, rubbing soy sauce stains off the back of the pilot's chair. I'm going to give John to the end of the week, three days. If he doesn't have her problem cracked by then, we'll go with the restart like you suggested. I hate to take the chance, but we're almost out of options. I nodded, satisfied with this approach. If John could pull it off, Mavis might even be able to call up some information about what had actually happened to her, based on internal diagnostics and or something she might have remembered organically. If he couldn't pull it off, she might need re-educating, at least to some degree, and we'd probably never learn what really happened. I was running late by the time I looked up from the sponge. Even then, I had to wait for an unexpected arrival in the closet below, a work crew in need of supplies. Our motion sensor in the place saved my bacon fat, and I just sat on my bunk inside Shady Lady for John to give the all-clear. Gaz, I spoke into my ring, video off. I'm going to be late. You're already late. Having two jobs, even important ones, doesn't let you slack off. I'm not slacking. Then this is a priority issue, I assume? Where's this coming from? I demanded, because her tone was frosty. You knew I might need some flex time when all this started. And anyway, I've put in a full week's work already, and we're only four days into this one. I don't like your tone, Mr. DeSantos. I think we're going to have to have a little talk when you do decide to make an appearance. Ah. Now it's sunk in. Okay, I understand, I told her after a moment, feeling more contrite. I thought you would. I expect you here as soon as possible. Am I clear to you? 
You are. I'll see you soon. I cut the line, then looked up at Stina, who was picking her nose. Can you run a trace on the metadata of that call? Was it tapped? They can all be tapped, she supplied. I know that, but was it being listened to in real time? She raised her eyebrows, because apparently the thought of doing anything live, as opposed to time-shifting events and data, was novel to her. She called up a directory of communications bearing an icon of my face. I immediately lost track of what followed, with screens popping up and getting dismissed in the same moment. Long streams of data flashed by, barely registering in the air above the table. She looked a little less blank for a moment there, too. You were right. It was. This was all she gave out, except for a plainly frank look. Okay. Um, any idea who it might have been? Team. It was piped over to that Caesar's Palace station. Could they have traced us? To here? No. John laughed out loud at that. Stina looked at him like she'd been looking at me. Eventually, the maintenance guys cleared out, with armloads of cleaning products and a line steamer for scrubbing conduits. Watching them over our feed from the station sensors outside the closet, I sympathized. I always hated that job whenever I had maintenance positions on ships and stations. Dirty, wet, and smelly. Kind of like Shady Lady these days. Call me if you need anything else, I told Dieter over Calm, because he'd returned to work. He assured me he would. I brought all the bags of trash outside the ship with me and found an especially dark corner within the dark patch the ship was parked where I could stow them. They would freeze in the perma-shadow, out of sight and out of the way. I'd arranged with John for a feed to my retinals from the sensors around the closet. I monitored it closely as I descended and then changed out of the pressure suit. It was all clear. I was just opening the door when Stina jumped into my feed, popping up right in the center of my eye view, too large to see around and obscuring everything. I just got a hit on that sensor log check for people following you. What? Now? Where? I, I can't see. I adjusted the comm ring a bit, shrinking her head and pushing it off to the side. I looked left. There was no one approaching. I looked right, and a skinny, bald guy was walking directly toward me. To your right, he was behind you this morning. The man was dressed like a mechanic or technician. He drew something from a front pocket as I watched him approach. I was open-mouthed and totally surprised. His hand came up. The weapon in it was small and covered in technician's tape. It was one of those moments that slowed the world, and I made to move away, to drop to the deck, to run, run, run. Yet I really didn't do anything but stand there. And then the elbow of the man's gun hand made a popping sound as it flew apart, all red and torn. He cried out, falling forward to his knees. The modified stunner skittered right to my feet, and I scrabbled for it. 
People were there then, appearing from nowhere and everywhere, grabbing the man, restraining him, gagging him, already hustling him to his feet and away. They wore blue jumpsuits, the like of which station maintenance used. Are you shot? Stina asked, as if she was asking about something else, about anything else. I cut the feed with a pinky touch to the ring. A big man, dressed like the others, stepped over and gently took the stunner from my hand. Um, thanks, I offered, shocked, but very much meaning it. No problem, Barney replied with his Papa Bear smile. Station security, I repeated, as my roommate and I hustled through some narrow service companionways I was completely unfamiliar with. But I thought Stasek was dissolved. So does team, he replied over his round shoulder. Without even looking, he ducked under a low-hanging conduit. Watch your head. Stasek kept undercover detectives on a different ledger from uniform officers, and my seven managed to deep-six it before the succeeding team-offs came aboard. Those of us in undercover operations all had legends and legitimate jobs as cover, mostly in non-critical positions that didn't see too much shake-up, so we just stayed on. But why? We had gathered evidence that there was a ring of foreign operatives in play. Didn't you tell team? Of course we did. My seven did, anyway. They also got all our reports and research. And what happened? I asked, stepping over a low, steaming pipe that looked hot to the touch. Nothing. They didn't even comment on it. At least that's what I was told before all station security personnel they knew about, officers and civilian employees alike, were out-systemed. And you were watching me all along? Ever since you came aboard, yeah. That was my assignment, to stay close in case you weren't what you seemed. That would have changed eventually since there were so few of us left, and we needed to move in on that ring. But by then, I was pretty sure there really was more to you than met the eye. What do you mean? Please, Ejog, no more of that stuff, no more lies. We've been following you, and found out about the fire vent in the closet. Then we spotted the ship in the shadows up there. My heart was pounding, both from the fast pace and from his words. I'm not a spy, Barney. Oh, I know that now. But you're not just a gunner, either. I am. It's what I was hired to do. He stopped and turned so suddenly I ran into him. It was like bouncing off a padded wall. We've got enough on you now to tip off team and have you and your partners well and truly hung out to dry. So tell me the truth. Who do you work for? United Humanity, I puffed, leaning over. It felt almost like another panic attack. We were sent here to look into a possible treaty violation. There's not supposed to be any military buildups in this system. Whatever it was Barney had been expecting, this was certainly not it. 
He stared at me with a wrinkled brow and plain confusion on his broad, dark face. UH, you can prove that? You have a copy of the contract? Up on the ship, yes, of course we do. With its reference number, you can contact the nearest UH office and get confirmation. His face was unchanged, even while he looked to the side, deep in thought. That would require someone with clearance to send and receive classified messages out system, and we'd want someone other than you. But you say you're actually here legally? I'm not a spy, I repeated. I mean, I am, but yes, it's all legal. The handshake is in violation of the Havelina Reduction Agreement, just by having a major military presence here. And by the terms of that treaty, Ainspace is allowed to send covert verification officers to any place where there's a suspected violation. That's you? No, I'm just crew. That's a couple people aboard the ship right now. One in particular, really. His eyes had narrowed as he listened. You didn't need to come aboard Mylag Vernier to verify any treaty. No, but do you want to hear that story right now? Because it's a long one. You better give me something, or my partners will take it. Oh, but not you? I asked, feeling the smart mouth in me bristling. Good old Barney Carsons won't interrogate his pal, his smackball teammate. What do you think we're doing right now, Ejock? This is an interrogation. At this very moment, that guy who tried to kill you is sitting in a very bright room that neither team nor admin know anything about. Wires all stuck to his head. We have someone on tap who can pattern a brain and make it sing. I don't want that for you. It's invasive and can even cause brain damage. If what you're saying is true, it shouldn't be necessary. It's your choice. Play the victim or play the professional. But you're in the game either way. This was a side of my roommate I'd never suspected, which was unsurprising considering the circumstances. But he was suddenly a stranger, and I didn't trust strangers. He was both good cop and bad cop. It was off-putting. Instinctively, I wanted to refuse. I wanted to cut and run back through this service corridor out of his reach, out of his presence. But he was much bigger than me. Faster, too, which I'd seen on the court. Likely armed and ready for anything. Besides, if he and his pals really knew about Shady Lady, then I had nowhere to go. The NDAs I'd signed with United Humanity Incorporated and the other groups didn't legally apply if there were physical threats made to my person. Veiled or no, friend or no, the kind of mind-charting Barney described sounded mighty threatening. So I told him what had happened since we jumped in system. I told him I had been the one to destroy Jaybird, which made him raise his eyebrows, though he didn't interrupt. I told him why we had to sneak aboard the station and what we were up to. I told how I'd gotten into admin security, and from there, R&D. I told him everything. Well, nearly so. I spoke on what had happened, not what I thought was coming. He never butted in, 
and only asked a few questions to clarify which players I was talking about. He made no notes, which meant he was recording it. And if we were doing this here, then it meant this narrow, hot companionway wasn't being monitored by anyone. Not team, certainly not admin security, and probably not even John or Stina. This was a place where anything could be said and anything could happen. So who's this guy who tried to kill you? He asked after a bit, when I'd run out of things to say. I'm guessing you already know, or think you do. We're not talking about me. I nodded. He made it seem simple. I either took the plunge or I didn't. I either continued to play with him or not. I either worked with Barney, the undercover cop, or I got worked over by him. I think he's out of church space. He gave me a completely confused look, so I went on. The operative that team took down in Spoke Plaza? Do you know who that was? We haven't heard the details. It was Layden from the pub. What? The barmaid? You're kidding. I wish I was. She got close to me because I worked in R&D. Then she pushed me away when she realized I had nothing for her. Weaponry isn't the hot new thing. Once team came aboard, they closed access to the other sub D, so I couldn't even steal anything for her if I wanted to. He accepted that as sensible, then looked me up and down. You came out of Spoke Plaza smelling like roses. A good man had half his head blown off, I snapped. He'll never be the same. But Layden had been sending out covert messages to another stealth ship in-system. I have reason to believe the code they were using is papal in origin. They're a long way from home, if that's true. This tech is worth the trip. In fact, it appears to be an open secret in the spy world. You know we weren't really mugged that night, right? They wanted my risk comp. That was how they wanted it to look, yeah. Now it was my turn to be confused. What else were they after? My dad's necklace. Except, I never had a dad. My mom used a sperm bank. That was really a high classification molecular key, just like the old two-step verification cards before team took over. Undercover stasic investigators use them, or did use them, to access different parts of the station without drawing attention. But why would anybody want it? The new security protocols... Oh, that's right. Yeah, team had just arrived. They hadn't gotten anything in place yet. Whoever it was must have smelled changes on the wind and panicked. They had to move fast. Okay, but again, why? What were they after? What kind of access did you have with that? He looked to the floor, deep in thought, then glanced up at me with very critical eyes. Can I trust you? Is that a rhetorical question? Tell me I can trust you, then tell me why. Because I believe we need your help but my partners will not be convinced without a compelling reason. Okay, then. Yes, you can trust me. My captain up on the ship is in dire need of a cybernetics expert. If you're doing advanced brain patterning, 
then you've got one. She's stable, but in bad shape. Help her, and I'll help you. What about your crewmates? Can you speak for them? Nope, but I'll do it anyway. They're used to it. He thought that over, then held out his hand, and we actually shook on it. Okay, then, here it is, he began. Stasek regs sometimes got in the way of the job. I had a cryptographic engineer put the necklace together, kind of, well, off the books. It could open every door on the station. Well, that wasn't a security risk at all, I laughed, and he looked hurt. You handed someone the literal keys to the kingdom, Barney. Forget anything I did or anything you think I did. That was probably the end game right there. Whatever they were after, they got it that very night. But nothing went missing. Team did thorough inventories of each department and audits of all restricted access points. There weren't any red flags. I'd read the reports too. Those investigations revealed no irregularities. Some in team had found that fact reassuring. Others had been annoyed. Someone wanted it for a reason, was all I offered, then held open my hands, expectantly. Well, I guess we can work together. You'll need to say all this again to my partners. I'm fine with that, but right now I'm late for work. Something is up in R&D that my supervisor didn't want to talk about over comm. I was supposed to go right in. She's probably sick with worry by now. Sounds like a friend, not a boss, he replied comfortably. Yeah, it does, I agreed uncomfortably. I'll see you later, back home. We can't talk there, he countered. Team has an AI on you, watching, listening in. Yeah, they think they do. I smiled. He smiled back, wonderingly. After this, he led me to an exit door on one side. It was to a circuit room, which in turn led to the back of a shoe store on Centerline Avenue. We parted ways thereafter. I went directly to work, though I could have used a shower and change of clothes, and a nap. I'd turned off the ring while talking to Barney, and all three of my bosses, as well as someone from HR, had called in the meantime. I didn't take two steps inside the place when Jake shanghaied me. He pointed to his office. Where have you been? AdSec business couldn't be helped. What's up? Whole Design wants to take over all the other sub-Ds. They cited you as a prime reason. They think weaponry is compromised by outside interests. Since it's technically just one part of the Integrated Systems Collective, they have to take them all to get at it. If they do, they can hire and fire anybody they want. See what you've done? Where are Gaz and Floyd? Am I their secretary? We waited for you with Bree Bordeaux. He heads up HD. That's when Gaza first called you. When he got sick of waiting, we waited some more. Still, you don't show. Some of us have work to do. We can't all float around like butterflies. He wasn't easily ignorable when he was like this, but I tried. Hey, where are you going? He shouted when I turned to leave, already dialing Gaza. 
I just got an automated response, saying she was in a meeting. A call to Floyd got her on the line, but she was on the other side of the station waiting to see a superior officer and couldn't talk just then. This is how they get rid of me, I told her quickly. I know, I'm working on it. Then she had to go. Jake was still following at a distance, barking. So I called the life support sub-D with my ring, which was the next office over from weaponry. I said I was with team and asked if they'd seen CPM 06 Jacob Hammerhulse anywhere as he wasn't in his office. Jake had just stopped by their door grousing loudly, so a short man with wild hair dashed out and waved him back, speaking quickly. My boss went in to get the call, but I'd already hung up. That would buy a few minutes while he was tracking down who had wanted him and why they hadn't just called directly. I walked over to the large security hatch to hull design and had the guards run an ident scan so they could see my adsec creds. They seemed impressed, but it was, nonetheless, inadequate to get in without permission from someone of authority inside. I gave them Brie Bordeaux's name. One of them stepped off a few paces and spoke quietly into his collar mic, then turned back around. I'm sorry, sir, but you're still not authorized. That's okay. You'll make a note that I tried, though, and who I asked for? Yes, sir. That's SOP. Good. Do your reports get processed on the fly? Can I make reference to it right away? He assured me that they do, and I could, and even gave me the incident number for my own records. Team was very efficient. Jake had given up hunting for phantoms by this time, but I could see him stalking around the bay, smoldering. Some lady nearby doing a bit of spot welding had been watching the antics the whole time, and kept chuckling whenever I peeked out to see if the coast was clear. I just stayed behind the leading end of a bulkhead reinforcement and called Barney. Okay, if we're working together, then I could use some help, I told my roommate when he answered. What's up? I need leverage on CPS09 Byron Mailbrot. He's gunning for me because I'm AdSec and he hates AdSec. Looks like he's put pressure on a sub-department in R&D to shake things up. If he gets me pulled, I'll lose any serious investigative access in here. You don't sound much like a gunner right now. I'm going to see this through, Barney. Will you help me or not? Take it easy, he replied thoughtfully. That's a pretty big fish to try and scare off. Let me look into it. How much time do you have? Almost none. Right. I'll call back. There was really nothing for it but to take a breath, step out of the shadows, and face Jacob. But just then, he stomped back toward his own office, the first break I'd caught all day. After that, I went to weaponry and tried to get some work done. A couple of the others were there, but they'd seen Jake yelling, and I think they were mostly afraid of me anyway, so no one said a word outside of a few quiet greetings. After an hour, Gaza arrived, looking very tired. HD won't budge, was her only comment when I asked about the latest news. She sighed and shook her head. 
Have you been home at all in the last couple of days? I demanded. I don't remember, and I don't think my hubby remembers me. I have something in the works that might help. Go get some sleep. She didn't argue. Jake tried to when she swung by his office to tell him the non-news, but she just walked out. I was determined to put in a few good hours anyway and finish roughing out the design for a non-sequential missile launching protocol we'd been banging our heads against for a few days. This included those Mass Effect weapons, or MEWs, we were angling for. I had suggested designing a missile pack along the lines of those in civilian armed merchanters, something that could be placed on an extensible arm to clear the outer hull. Scaling up the design to fit military-grade weapons, though, meant there was no room. Team wanted the minimum capability of firing six high-acceleration missiles tipped with Schedule C warheads. That's respectable stuff meant to pierce heavily armored targets. For us, it meant using a custom frame to hold them. Easy enough to sketch out, but it disallowed our holy grail of MEW compatibility. It was a circular problem until one of the kids suggested a swappable design. The idea was to make the entire weapon bay removable so it could be quickly changed out for a different one, preloaded with other ordnance types or even other weapon systems entirely. Suddenly, the free jump fighter became incredibly flexible. In our minds, it could be loaded with teams Schedule C's, the nukes, or whatever mass effects we settled on, smaller surgical strike missiles, self-contained DEWs, or specialized surveillance equipment. Heck, it could even be used for cargo space if there was a need. We brainstormed excitedly, making cribbed notation on the bottom of the floating designs. We were still fussing with this when Barney called back. I took a break to talk to him speaking quietly into my fist as I strolled around the catwalk overlooking the bay. Mailbrot's breaking a ton of ship protocols, he told me. In my eye view, I could see the big man was over in samples. That new waiter passed by behind him at a distance. Barney munched on Scobble while we talked. Everything from traffic control procedures to fuel prioritizing. His people just do what they want out there, and it's really pissing off orbital control. Okay, I replied, feeling disappointed. But that's pretty weak stuff. I could file some complaints and grievances, but it's not likely to impress anybody, least of all him. Except that he also brought his own private yacht. It's aboard Caesar's palace. He uses it when he travels back and forth. It's a little thing, but high performance, very posh. And expensive to maintain? Who's been paying for the fuel and upkeep? Him or team? I don't know, but I heard he just has it parked with all the other small transports and shuttles on the ship, and it gets the same treatment. If you could find proof he's been using team supplies and personnel to maintain his own boat without paying the company back, you could level a charge of executive pilfering. The appropriation guidelines were amended last year company-wide to be especially hard on execs. There was a big corruption scandal at corporate HQ and the fallout was ugly. 
Right now they can't let that kind of stuff slide no matter who it is. Sounds good. Thanks. Sure, but they could be taking a maintenance fee for it out of his wages. There's no way to know. Maybe there is, I told him, seeing a way forward at last. Any idea who I talked to about sending a classified message out system? You have been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.